What do you do if you're reading a passage of Scripture like 1 Peter 3, 13-17, and you stumble upon a verse that seems utterly out of sync with the way you've been understanding the book? That's the question we're going to pose. What do you do in that kind of interpretational situation? And the principle that we're going to try to use to answer that question is you look at the near and distant context as closely as you can. So, Father, as we tackle verse 13 here, which seems so strange in First Peter, help us to learn from the strangeness, open our eyes to how to understand this verse and apply it to our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. We're just starting now to read this paragraph. We're reading along in First Peter, and we read, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, it, there's no answer there. This is a rhetorical question. Rhetorical means it's a question that doesn't provide the answer because it assumes the reader can provide the answer. So what answer would you provide if you took that sentence? Now, who is there to harm you? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And surely we would all paraphrase it something like, there's nobody there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. Nobody's going to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. That's the first thought that comes to our mind anyway. Is This is a statement about how disinclined people will be to harm you if you are zealous for what is good. Now, I say that is unbelievably jarring to me because of what we've seen already in First Peter, but it's jarring because of what comes next. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So, clearly, one does or may suffer for righteousness' sake. And here it says, if you're zealous for what is good, then there's no one to harm you. Or no one, what? Now we want to adjust our paraphrase, don't we? Or First of all, let's ask this. Is he saying, if you're zealous for what is good, there's no one that's going to harm you, but if you're only zealous for what is righteous, you are going to suffer for it. Is he, <laughs> I know this may sound strange, but there is a distinction between being a good person and being a righteous person. Paul talks about it in Romans 5. Could he be saying... Zealous for good gets you no harm. Living for righteousness' sakes gets you suffering. No, that, that is not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because down here in verse 16, he says, uh, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, revile... So that's this, this harm, and it's good behavior. Same word as here. It's not just righteous behavior. 
These are good people, zealots for good, who are being reviled. So you can be zealous for good and be reviled, and you can be uh, committed to righteousness and suffer. So what in the world does Peter mean by saying, who's there to harm you? And not only have we seen it here that good behavior gets reviled, but we saw it already in 2.20, where it says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it? So here's a person who's so committed to doing good, he's willing to suffer for it. Or here again in 4.19, which we haven't gotten to yet, but let's jump ahead. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So here's a person that all the while he's doing good, he may be suffering for it. Okay, now we've got the problem really clear. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? And the answer comes back, well, lots of people are going to harm you (laughs) if you're zealous for what is good, so it seems. So this I regard as the, I'm going to clear this away, this right here, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, is the most perplexing sentence in the book to me. Now, so what I did was simply stare hard at the context. The next question I asked was, Had he said anything in the preceding verses that triggered this? So let's go to those preceding verses, 10 to 12, and read them. So he's quoting Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Let him keep his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil. Let him do good. Mm, Do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And so I would paraphrase that. That's a good zealous, zealous for good, for what is good. And the reason you should pursue that, the reason you should keep your tongue from evil and lips from speaking deceit and turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it is because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Same righteous, good, interchangeable almost. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the argument for why you should be zealous for good that's summed up here is that the eyes of the Lord Almighty are on you. The ears of the Lord Almighty are open to your prayer. And the face of the Lord burning with wrath is against those who do evil, that is, those who would harm you. And I can imagine that having just said that, be zealous for all that good because God sees and God hears and God opposes your enemies so Who's going to harm you? Now, that makes sense. So, if this is being triggered by the fact that God's eyes are on us and God's ears are toward us and his face is against our enemies, then the question becomes, so this is really saying 
nobody can harm you because God is totally in charge. It's not saying nobody will harm you because they're not inclined to harm you. They're plenty inclined to harm you. But God, God is sovereign. And that's why nobody can harm you. And then the question becomes, does the sovereignty of God, according to this book, always keep us from harm? It is better to suffer for doing good, verse 17, if that should be God's will. So now we know that God's will might ordain that we suffer for doing good, and that makes it better. So here's the way I would paraphrase this. Um, No harm can come to a Christian unless unless God wills it for his good. So I take this, this to be an overflow of his confidence from the preceding verses that the eyes of the Lord are on you and his ears open to your prayer and he's against your enemies so that nobody can harm you unless it should be God's will and be better for you for your good.